Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. God of all creation, send your Holy Spirit among us this day, that the seed of your word might take root in our hearts and bear the fruits of peace, love, and justice for all. Amen. The reading today comes from John 1, verses 35 through 46. The next day, John was standing again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, What are you looking for? They said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? He replied, Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Now one of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. He led him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus went into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Now Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. Nathanael responded, can anything from Nazareth be good? Philip said, come and see. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So uh, thinking about uh, faith formed by relationships, faith formed by friendships, uh, as we look at um, how best, right, how best do we find uh, wisdom? How best do we find uh, that relationship that forms us in our faith? I've always said, uh, to every congregation, um, because I've always been uh, a, a younger pastor, I say younger, I used to say young, right, uh, that I would bring the energy and y'all bring the wisdom and together we'll do ministry. Now, these days, uh, being a 40-something uh, pastor, um, maybe I have less energy and I'm waiting for more of that wisdom, um, but it's been a good uh, way of doing ministry together. So a couple of years ago, um, Amy asked me, she says, I think you should give uh, Grace a, a playhouse for her birthday. Um, I said, great, where do I buy it? Right? Um, and she says, oh no, it's, in, it's, at, it's, it's on Pinterest. You know how scripture says nothing good comes out of Nazareth? <laughs> nothing good comes out of Pinterest, right? I mean, uh, Pinterest shows you the finished pictures, right? They don't show the number of times the guy hit his uh, thumb with the, na uh, with the hammer or how many times he didn't measure twice and cut once and instead measured once and cut five or six times. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm probably not the most handy person uh, that's ever walked the earth. I, you know, I, um, I can do UM Army uh, carpentry. Does that speak to anybody in the house, right? I mean, if you tell me exactly what to do and then stand over me, I might do it right. 
And so I thought, but what a great thing, right? And, and in fact, um, for those of you who haven't figured out, if, as you're going out of the church driveway, the house on the right is the parsonage. And, um, you know, don't go looking over the fence, but like the playhouse that comes up over the fence, that's the one we're talking about. So I thought to myself, there's about six weeks until the birthday. What if I invite a couple of men from the church, one each weekend, to come and work side by side with me. Uh, maybe with my energy and their wisdom, together we can put something together. Uh, and, and I picked three different guys, uh, members of this congregation, and the first one was really good at the framing things out. Uh, and, and so we framed up the um, floor, uh, we sunk the posts because uh, it's raised up, the second weekend, uh, beforehand, because I knew there was going to be a lot of work, we were going to uh, do the siding, we were going to frame up the walls, um, we were going to make a stab at the roof, I went down to the church garage and I pulled every power tool out, whether I knew what to do with it or not, and I had them all lined up. It was beautiful. It was a, a great collection of, um, of the worn, the old, and the rusted, and, and, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, I'm not talking about uh, previous church appointments, um, and so the guy who came, he walks in with a handsaw and an axe. And I thought, what are we, we chopping down trees today? I mean, like, like I got the lumber from Lowe's. I, we don't have to do that. And it was a wonderful day. Um, we didn't use any of the power tools. Um, he showed me how to cut true with a handsaw. Um, and I found out later that the ax was just an object lesson. Um, it, it was um, a, kind of a reminder that kind of in the old days, uh, you knew uh, the quality of the carpenter uh, by what tools they brought, and that a really good carpenter could do everything you needed with an axe. That was a new thing for me. And then the last, uh, the third weekend, uh, everything was kind of up. It needed the finishing touches. So kind of like, think like molding and all that kind of stuff uh, around. Uh, and so I invited a, another church member to come, and I was just amazed at, uh, kind of had a rig that would um, uh, cut almost things as beautiful that you'd use for uh, cabinet making. Um, the fourth uh, weekend, I got out there and um, uh, painted it. Uh, the fifth weekend, um, I, you know, I, that wonderful geometry teacher in high school, um, who knew that I would actually use geometry in my real life, right? So uh, trying to figure out um, the angle of the roof, um, that's something that should be a, a level of purgatory. Um, and so we got, got the roof taken care of, put um, some really fun plastic um, sheeting on the top so that there was ambient light that would come through, and it was done. What was interesting was I had it in me, um, but I didn't know the wisdom to do it. And so inviting folk who did have the wisdom to come and impart it to me was a task in going from being the UM Army carpenter to being something that's able to put together a playhouse uh, for your kid. And, and uh, um, rest assured, it's all put together with screws, and I hope we don't ever move because then I have to take it with me, but we'll all figure that out, right? No laughter. Wow, no laughter. Okay. Our scripture passage is a conversation about action and wisdom. Um, uh, John is telling us uh, essentially the baptism story for the Gospel of John. Uh, in Matthew and in Luke, uh, there's that wonderful pageantry, do you remember, right? Um, uh, Jesus goes out into the countryside. Um, uh, John baptizes him in the Jordan. As he comes out of the water, the skies split apart. Um, a dove descends upon Jesus' head. Uh, a voice says from heaven, this is my son, my beloved. Uh, so what 
what John does is instead takes John the Baptist and puts him in town. And as Jesus walks by, John the Baptist says to his students, look, there's the Lamb of God. Now, this is the only time that phrase happens in Scripture, and the, the students were paying attention, and so they got up and followed Jesus, uh, trusting John the Baptist uh, to know what he was pointing at. And, and, and so as they follow, Jesus kind of like, oh, wait a minute, why are you stalking me, right? Stops and turns to them and says, what are you looking for? And they say, teacher. Now, notice, this is interesting. They say, teacher, right? And I'm thinking, uh, teacher, will you sign our book? Um, uh, teacher, can you tell us five easy ways uh, to forgive? Uh, teacher, do you have an online course where we can get ordained, right? I mean, like all the things that could have been asked, but instead they say, teacher, where are you staying? Where are you staying? And now, some of us might think, uh, you know, are they asking about the hotel? Is it have a complimentary breakfast? You know, uh, those types of, is the Wi-Fi free? No, they're not asking the location necessarily of where he lives, but they're saying, tell us who you are. Let us be where you are. And so Jesus says, come and see. And so they spend the whole day together. Um, notice, not for an outcome, but for a relationship. Now, um, we also notice that having experienced that time with Jesus, what do they do? They go and find others. Uh, they, they go find their brothers, they go find other students, and they say to them the same thing that Jesus said to them. They say, come and see. I think it's interesting that notice Jesus doesn't call anyone one-on-one, -on -one, but instead calls a group, a, a community. Now, Matthew and Luke would want you to know that the disciples were primarily fishermen, right? You remember the scene in the Gospels where Jesus comes up and they're pulling the nets onto the shore, and he says, come and I'll make you fishers of people, right? That scene isn't here in John. Uh, really what it is is, is uh, students recognizing their teacher. And no hardened blue-collar fishermen here. These were academics. These were students looking to learn and to commit their lives to a teacher. Um, as we think about the scripture passage, I want you to think about kind of what we have and what the world needs. Um, I, I remember a couple of years ago, one of my professors became the bishop in the Alabama Annual Conference, and he wrote an article about the United Methodist Church being blessed with an overabundance of grandparents. And he said, this isn't a bad thing, because apparently the world needs wonderful, faithful role models. Apparently there are kids who don't have grandparents, and what a gift we could give them. Now, um, uh, I don't know about you, uh, we, I grew up in Florida, then moved to Texas. We were Methodists in Florida, and when we showed up in Texas, the Sunday after the moving truck left, we were in, you know, towards the front rows of Woodlands United Methodist Church, and we joined that Sunday, right? This was like brand loyalty at its best. Um, it's a great example of the attractional uh, model for evangelism. This is the evangelism of Billy Graham, right? If I throw up a tent, if I put a shingle out there and talk about Jesus, people fill the tent and become transformed for Jesus, and the world is changed. It's a great, I, uh, I mean, Billy Graham is the, the master of those uh, three points in an altar call. You know, uh, apparently I have about eight, sometimes ten, it depends on the moment, and we'll see about the altar call. 
the attractional model worked in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, even into the 80s, that if you hung a shingle out and you did fancy things, people showed up. You'd have to go get them. You'd have to invite them. You'd have to spend any time with them. People just knew that it was time to show up when they became a new part of the community. Well, it's fair to say that era is done and gone. In fact, um, even here, um, we'll have folk uh, that'll... Um, uh, that'll join the choir, uh, join the praise band, join a Sunday school class, uh, help out at the food basket, um, and haven't joined yet. <laughs> they'll give, uh, they'll attend often, and oftentimes when I meet with them in their homes and say, thank you so much for visiting, um, sometimes I slyly say, and you're doing more than some of my members, right? The join, you, yeah, the early service didn't laugh at that either. It's okay, it'll work well on the podcast. Um, so, um, uh, so they join at the last minute. They, they kind of figure out whether they belong and whether they like and whether they fit, and then they join. So this idea of you're a Methodist in one place, you become a Methodist in another, is kind of a disappearing trend. So what that trend did to us is we were really good at wait and see. Churches, uh, Methodist churches all across the South, we were really good at wait and see. We would get to church, we would sit, we would watch the door, waiting for a guest to come this Sunday, waiting and seeing. And when they sat near us, woo, we were wonderful. We would welcome them like they were lost family. I have to tell you, just um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, in this service, in the back of this section, uh, there was a young man who came as a first-time guest. I saw him from a distance. During the welcoming time, a church member uh, went over, uh, an older adult church member went over, shook his hand, was so excited he was there, got to know his name, and before long had grabbed his hand and was pulling him all the way up the aisle to introduce him to Pastor Kate and I. And then she went back to her seat. And you could just see the joy on her face that she, like, put me in, coach, it's my turn, right? Somebody sat in my zone, and I welcomed them, right? Now, for Pastor Kate and I, we're saying a very delightful young man, uh, African-American, um, probably uh, early 20s, um, and so I was like, so you live around here? I mean, like, like it was such an exciting moment, right? Um, it, it's almost like we tend to do that wait and see. And well, you can tell, wait and see hasn't really worked out for us very well. Uh, wait and see doesn't bridge the gap. Wait and see doesn't get us outside the doors. Wait and see doesn't let other people know the treasure that's inside here. Now, um, I'm told that uh, in most industries, there is the great shift change. Does anybody know that phrase? Um, that uh, boomers are retiring, and there's a little bit of irrelevant um, uh, Gen Xers like myself, but then there's this huge group of millennials that are coming of age. And that what's needed is the wisdom of the boomers to be passed to the energy of the millennials. But see, millennials aren't really sure they like church. They aren't really sure if they like institutions. They aren't really sure whether we know what we're talking about. And you see, they're out there looking for something to see, and we're waiting. Now, the church is working really hard to make sure that older pastors are passing their wisdom to younger pastors, and it's only in the United Methodist Church that at 43 years old, I'm considered a young clergy person, huh? Um, but it's that great shift change. It's that passing of the wisdom. And I don't know about you, but my uh, growth in faith happened because people would say, come and see. 
Uh, for example, I, I had a, a series of operations uh, when I was in high school, and I remember when the youth counselors, the whole team of them, showed up in mass to my hospital room and said, we've been praying for you. We're so glad that you've come through well. Well, you better believe the next time uh, I looked for a, a study, I studied about prayer. I wanted to know how to do this thing that they had done for me so that I could do it for others. You see that come and see idea. Um, I, when somebody first invited me to a, uh, a small group Bible study at college when I was at Stephen F. Austin, they said, come and see. This guy knows more about the Bible than you'll ever imagine. And I walked in the doors and I was amazed. And it lit a fire for studying the Bible that is yet to go out. Come and see. Come and see. I remember uh, someone saying, um, when I didn't really know how to be a Christian leader as a layperson, they said, um, you should come and see this thing called Walk to Emmaus. And, and I went not knowing anything. And I spent the rest of my life inviting people, sponsoring people, and working walks. Uh, the same thing with UM Army. We could go all the way down the list. Uh, rarely do we say, ah, I want to learn about social justice. Give me a book. But if someone says, come and see, come and experience, come and participate, it's a transformative experience. It's what Jesus does to recruit the disciples. It is what we're called to do to invite others to come and see what is happening here, what is going on in this place, and how it affects others. I have to say that there are uh, numerous young adults and youth who long for the wisdom that you have. Uh, they long to make a relationship. They long to be mentored. Uh, and let's be honest, it's not that it's a one-sided equation. Um, I'm willing to bet there's some older adults here who'd love for a younger person to tell them how to work Facebook or their smartphones or their, no, the email, um, Instagram. Help me out here, right? I mean, there's wisdom to be passed. There's an opportunity to bridge the gap. I remember what it was like to be invited to come and see. Um, I, uh, I went to Stephen F. Austin thinking I would be a therapist. That's what Dr. Bob was, if you remember last week's sermon. I thought surely I could be what he is. Uh, and so I went and I got a psychology degree. In the midst of getting the psychology degree, it was a messy experience, I just want to say. Um, apparently, psychology is a bachelor's of science, which meant you had to take science and, and math. And that wasn't too bad, but statistics, oh my gosh, it's a level of purgatory. I literally took the class twice with the same professor. And you've heard the urban myth of the professor saying to the student, um, if you promise never to practice in this profession, I'll pass you. That was the agreement that I got. By that time, I had applied to seminary. He knew that, you know, in, uh, um, in church work, one plus one plus one still equaled one. And so I was safe with statistics. And he sent me, now, I think it's kind of God's humor that I'm appointed to uh, pastor a church of engineers, right? But we can talk about that some other day. In the midst of all of that, the campus minister at the Wesley Foundation, he said, hey, Peter, um, I'm going to start a commuter service. It's going to be on Wednesdays at noon. I need somebody to open up, turn on the air conditioner, and be there to welcome people. Will you do that? Well, I'd do anything for Scott. I mean, Scott was kind of that, that Yoda, that, that wisdom, that person who had invested in me. Surely I would do that for Scott. As we got halfway through the semester, he said, hey, Peter, um, I think it'd really work better if I had a liturgist, like somebody who'd read scripture, say the prayers, I'll write the prayer for you, I'll pick the scripture out, and I'll take care of the sermon. Would you do that? I'd do anything for Scott. I said yes. As we went into the next semester, 
uh, my last semester, Scott said, um, hey, Peter, there's this community opportunity for me to be involved in Wednesdays at noon. It's off campus. I can do it and make a big difference in Nacogdoches, but I need somebody who will preach at the Wednesday commuter service. Would you do that? And I went, whoa, wait, right? I agreed to AC and lights. I agreed to reading scripted stuff. But a sermon? And he said, just tell people what you hear God saying about that scripture's passage, and you'll be fine. About halfway through that semester, I had a call to ministry. Someone had invited me, come and see. Come and see what you can do. Come and see what God can do through you. Come and see what's possible in the world of grace. Come and see. You see, when we sit and watch the door, waiting to see who God might bring inside God's house, we are giving up the opportunity to give the gifts that we have uh, to a God who, uh, to a, a world who needs, a God who loves and forgives, a God of wisdom, a God who is uh, interested in how the great shift change happens and how best we're provided for. You know, I made that comment about that Jesus never called somebody uh, uh, solo, right? That he always called a group. It was two or three, three or four. Um, out of uh, the four years that I was at Stephen F. Austin, out of that campus ministry, easily nine, nine uh, ordained clergy um, came out of there. You, you see, when you say, come and see, people start paying attention. What, wait, Peter's preaching? Really? I mean, we all know he doesn't do that well, but I could do that, right? I had two friends. Uh, one was my roommate, uh, took an appointment as a local student pastor in the area. It is amazing when we take a step forward and say, I'll invest my life in someone else, or when I take a step forward and say, I'll have that relationship, that friendship that forms faith. When we take that step forward, people watch and they see, and they go, if you, maybe me, it's one of the things I think is beautiful about having a summer intern. Uh, Jeremy Bass called me up, uh, had lunch with me this last week. Uh, he's doing great. He was our last year's summer intern. Uh, he's headed to Asbury on a full-ride scholarship. I asked him, what's it like to be a full-ride scholarship person? And he just kind of beamed, right? It's like you never imagined, but there it is. That's why I think investing in uh, interns like Thea and Paul are important. Because when we invite people to come and see, it gives them a chance to see what God can do in them and through them. They bring the energy, and we offer the gift of wisdom. If we wait and see, who knows what'll happen? I've watched churches wait and see. They wait and see if they're going to make budget. They wait and see if attendance numbers are going to come up. They wait and see if the new bypass around the town is going to come by their property. They wait and see until they can't afford their apportionments, till they can't afford a full-time pastor, till they can't afford to keep the lights on. And they wait and see what the conference will do with them. What a great opportunity to invite others to come and see, to come and see what God does in this place, to come and see what God has done in your heart so that God might do the same thing in theirs. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.